In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from just £1, and by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Living History UK podcast and today you're joined by myself, Danny Rees and my ever dutiful tent colleague, history colleague and general all-round good egg, Pete Neal. How, Pete, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you, mate. How was yourself? Well, those of you who follow us closely will know that things are starting to starting to get the ball rolling now for our last major shindig of the year, that being Avoncroft. Those of you who know we're doing the members of uh, two SAS as they were in France. And it's our major effort, last major effort of the year with loading up Jeeps and hopefully dodging the rain. So we've decided today to carry on to more civil war, but not, oh no, not more English civil war, as you're saying out there in the distances. No, we're going to carry on with our variation of Americana. Last time you may have heard our Vietnam podcast. Today we're going to be covering the American Civil War. And one thing in particular is a, is a new, well, not a new film. It came out about, I think, about five or six years ago, um, 2016, actually. It's actually a film called The Free State of Jones. Now, I re- watched this on your recommendation, Pete. So what, where, how did you first hear about the film? I saw the trailer back in 2016 when it came out. So when it was um, at the uh, theatre uh, or theatres, um I saw the trailer. I thought, "Oh, this looks interesting," and uh, yeah, watched it. And I thought, "That's great, that is." And obviously, being me, being me, if there's something based on a true story, if it's really sort of gripped my interest, I'd turn to try and maybe not so much go in depth on it, but to see how much truth is actually in the story. And that, and that's exactly what I did. 
that is just typical with these, these these films when they say it's based on the true story it's very loosely based but uh, I, my own background i'm not really know much about the american civil war All i know is it, is it was happening about 10 years before 20 years before my my great interest which is obviously the zulu war so it's, it's quite interesting when you compare what's happening in america in america at the time compared to what's happening in britain and the empire yeah, I find the American Civil War to be really interesting. Um, I've, I dabble in it. Um, I can't say that I'm an expert because I am nowhere near <laughs> an expert. Um, or in like, many subjects, I speak with great confidence in it, but it is a very fascinating war on a, on a very, on various scales. Um, really, cause it's like one of the true modern wars of that century as well. Cause you had the Crimea. Which was the first war of photography and you know the combat correspondent in a sense. But when it comes to the American Civil War, you've got that which is now advanced itself 10, 10, 10 years or, or more. But you've also got a big technology shift as well, and it it it's just it's amazing. All the little nooks. It's, it's a bit like Vietnam for me. It's it's one of those, it's so many nooks and crannies that you could you could get yourself into, and all these little rabbit warrens as well <laughs> yes those of you listeners out there who listen to us regularly you know we do like our rabbit warrens here at living history uk and we normally either trip over them or fall into them um but i think yeah it's quite quite a few similarities especially when you look at the american civil war and the english civil war or the war of the three kingdoms as steve would prefer it to be called um it is quite interesting comparing what causes a civil war and why and why a nation in theory would go to a war against itself Obviously, the, the English Civil War was quite a, a variation in the reasons why, and obviously with the king and all that. But get any chance for our listeners who know nothing about the American Civil War, can you just give a quick pocket guide summary for the for the root cause of the war at all, Pete? Um, I think really that would be an episode in itself. <laughs> <laughs> but pocket guide, keep, pocket guide. Yeah, but just to keep it really like within one sentence. <laughs> But to keep it in one sentence, um, you had the North uh, being the Union, and then you had the South, which would become the Confederate States of America. Um, basically, the two side, basically the, the Southern states seceded because uh, um, they no longer wanted to be run by the federal government. There's loads of reasons why. Uh, one of them being the subject of slavery, um, which is what which I think really most people, as soon as people will say, why did the American Civil War start? They go, oh, it's all because of slavery, because the Union didn't want slavery, but the South did. Um, but there's other issues on that as well. So not only was there slavery, there's loads of uh, other, like many civil wars, it's not just one thing that causes it. It's uh, there's a There's a lot of things that go into that wheel, and suddenly there's, bang, a spark, and then there's a civil war. Yeah, and I think the, the the film, The Free State of Jones, does actually, for someone like myself who's not had much knowledge or background in the American Civil War, watching it kind of has opened up my arcs of fire, so to speak, where I actually have a bit more of an understanding where it isn't just the, the question of slavery in the South, but it's also the, the, the question of wealth the question of ownership of land and, and of asset, you know, obviously we say assets, but assets being people, 
um, mm. and the rights to own people, which we always think now is really strange. But you know, obviously now you know, obviously the th- things you know, like what's happening in a current day in a uh, in Israel and um, the Gaza Strip. You know, people being kidnapped. You know, is that another form of modern day slavery? We will we'll, we'll have to go to see. But um, but no. It is really interesting. I think what's unique about this film is, you know, obviously, I've not seen many American Civil War films. I hold my hands up, um, but it's actually being told from the from the from the point of view of a soldier of the South rather than the glorious North, so to speak. It is yes. So the the um, main protagonist, um, Newton Knight or Newt Knight, depends how you, who how you want to name him. Um, he's the main protagonist, and he's actually a real bloke. And this is who we're talking about tonight and sort of the the story behind what this bloke actually did and what he sort of accomplished in a way as well yeah i think what gets you when you first start watching a film obviously it's, it's we won't tell you all what happens otherwise you won't go and watch it but we want you to go and watch it so we'll tell you some of the good bits um it it, it kind it's kind of it starts off in a courtroom and it's kind of like a flashback moment where they're questioning uh questioning a marriage aren't they and the ancestry of the let's see the correct term but a white gentleman who's in the dock at the moment is having his ancestry questioned i think that's the that's right that's yeah. the continuing story isn't it really about this uh, this newton knight and his you kind of guesstimate what's going to happen later in the film because obviously you've seen what's happened in the courtroom but it just goes to show that uh, uh, that courtroom obviously is in the 1960s and they're still bringing the fact that there's possibility that what he's one eighth uh, black. That's right. Yeah, there was a, a law in the south, and it was uh, and it was retained in the uh, 1960s. So that's very recent. You know, that's like that's that's when my parents were born. Not there were there were kids back then. You know what I mean? It's it, it's mad to think. Um, but yeah, even if you was uh, one eighth black, you had to declare yourself as a black person. It's crazy when you think, and that's about where, it. and this, and that's where this court case came from. Because this, um, so the man you're referring to is, is actually uh, Davis Knight, his great great grandson, um, who actually served in the U.S. Navy during the Second World War as a white man. Okay, uh, then he got married in 1946 to a white woman. But then suddenly in 1948, I don't know if someone grasped him up or or what happened. But basically, inconsequently, he gets arrested, gets put on trial because him as a one eighth black man can't be married to a white woman because he's got that one eighth lineage. So, although he crazy. he was white, so I've sent you see the photographs of him as well. I, while I was doing the research, um, there is a photograph of him. He looks just like you or me. it's crazy absolutely crazy we learn about that more later in the film and i think the reasons why Mm. i I kind of put six and three together and made 12 um that when you actually watch the film and later in the film you see we'll talk about it later on we see the rise of a certain group in the south and it's possibly where this court case has come from and where uh how corrupt the system can be in places like small towns in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'll pick one bit, for example, in in part of the film, there's a Southern officer, cavalry officer. And uh, when the war is obviously at an end and everyone goes back to their normal lives, he gets the job of what we'd call in the UK, 
as a, a barrister or a justice of the peace, you know, and he's naturally got, he's naturally, um, hell bent on his own regime rather than where you should be in a justice of the peace or a barrister you should be in and be neutral and looking at both sides of the story. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the film tells the story brilliantly, you know, when it comes to these films, when they go, Oh, we, we've, it's based on a true story. Then straight away, people like you or I, Danny, will go, well, how much of a percentage have they actually got right on this? Well, from not so much, say, like historical point of view, from terms of what they're wearing and things like that, but from a storytelling point of view, they've pretty much got it 90% accurate in the, in the, in the, in the trail of thought that they're going in. Because there's no great bit. There's a big, there's a battle scene at the beginning, but it's, who is Newton Knight? Where where has he come from? So Newton Knight, um, as we've mentioned his name a couple of times, <laughs> so we should sort of give him a bit of a background, really. <laughs> so Newton Knight, he he comes from um, Jones County in Mississippi. Um, now Mississippi was one of the largest cotton producers. So this is King Cotton, um, and it's one of the biggest. S- exports of the south i think for the southern for the south i think the export of cotton was somewhere like 60 percent or something like that at the start of the civil war and britain being one of their major uh buyers but obviously with the blockades and all that sort of thing the uh the south was obviously going oh the british will help us out and the british just went well no you're, you're just a convenience to us we can go elsewhere in our empire for cotton so that's where um like today in uh Egyptian cotton's very popular. That's what, and that's why Egyptian cotton is so popular today. Is because of the American Civil War. Although we already had it, we didn't have the production in great amount for it. But because of the American Civil War, and we had to get our cotton from elsewhere. They then went to Egypt and India for the cotton. Ah. So, but yeah. But anyway, we diverse as <laughs> so. Uh, so Jones County, it's a little county. Um, there's a couple of plantations there so there is a couple of cotton plantations but the vast majority of the people that live there they're farmers um the the land isn't really good enough for cotton or tobacco or anything like that it is literally just general agriculture because it's like if you haven't got a little bit of farmland it's swamp and woodland so it's not very suitable so these farmers they're either raising livestock or growing crops to feed themselves and to sell that is literally their life in jones county it's a bit like a homesteader isn't it they've got there were small holdings there they're small individual family groups individual family farms there's no that's right yeah the sort of yeoman farmers i suppose you can call them in a way but yeah it's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting so when newton knight to track back from, from what we mentioned he comes back from, from he's come back to a county that's been raised by war or is it what yeah what is the actual yeah so list so what's so what's happened is is obviously mississippi secedes uh as we mentioned in the beginning about the southern states seceding mississippi was one of them um interestingly enough that jones county's re- jones county didn't want to secede so they wanted to stay part of the union well because all the politics that was going on they were like well this doesn't really affect us so there's no point us seceding so they told their, I suppose, what we would call our local MP. So the MP for Joan for the um, 
for Jones County, a man called um, John Powell, his name was. Uh, John Powell was their representative for Jones County, and he went to uh, to the vote um, as their representative for secession. And they he then totally went against his people who voted for no secession. He then went to the ballot box, put a tick for secession. Uh, strangely enough, he ends up with a very good government job in the uh, Confederate government after secession. So like we were saying about corruption earlier on, yeah, they, that, that's a prime example of corruption. But anyway, the Civil War ends up uh, starting not so long after the secession. So the Civil War started. The South, uh, the South um, Mississippi, obviously part of the Confederacy, they are fighting the Union or being the North. And the lads from Jones County, there's quite a few of them actually volunteered. So despite them not and and this is where this comes quite interesting so being that they're from a county that didn't want to secede you've got quite a few blokes from the county newton knight being one of them um he joins the confederate army uh they obviously put the call out for volunteers and newton knight is one of these volunteers that goes and fights to preserve the south and southern rights yeah it's quite interesting when you say you said that because I, I did pick up one part of the early part of the film where there's a chap who goes about how he died for honor and honor and glory and all that malarkey, you know. He, he died for honor and glory, and I'm like, well, that's quite a, a quite a romanticized um, Victorian, you know. For example, oh, you know, he, he joined the army because he saw it in boy's own type thing, rather than actually switching on and seeing the reality of things. Yeah, and that's probably what some of that would have been, you know. It's that sense of adventure, you know. There's this war happening, so. You know, they're, they're part of the Confederacy now. You know, they're not part of the Union. So, the, obviously, the North are, you know, plus you've got the propaganda that's coming in from the Confederacy as well, saying how brutal the North are and why they want to come and invade and oppress you and everything like that. So, so these these blokes, they're, they're going, oh, you know what, we'll have a bit of this then. So, we'll go and fight for our southern rights, our rights to keep our farms and... Um, our way of life. We can't have some northerner telling us how we should be living our lives on our farm. Um, and also that sense of adventure, because, you know, Newton Knight, he's, you know, he's never left that county. You know, he may not have even travelled 20 miles of where he comes from in Jones County. So, you know, like many young lads, uh, when a big war like this happens back, back in those days, it, it's that sense of adventure, because he's going to go to another state. You know, what what state it's going to be, he could end up on, on the other side of America. You know, it, it's that excitement and um, sense of adventure and that sort of experience. And also, they didn't think, again, they didn't think the war was going to last that long anyway. So they thought, mm. you know what, we'll go to war, go and see a bit, uh, go and see a bit, do a bit. Um, then we'll just go back to the farm after I've had my little adventure. But obviously... It's never the case in those situations. Well, it, it dragged on and turned into the meat grinder, you know. Uh, you know as every war, though, of the modern era seems to turn into a, a meat grinder. Sadly, so where does Newton Knight fit in to this this Jones County change or um, rebellion, so to speak? Right. So he's so there's two trains of thought. Um, so this is something that historians. Um, are trying to 
fathom out. So you got one side that will say one thing, the other side will say another thing. Um, you know, and then you got the middle ground people that are gone. Well, yeah, we can see the truths and, and all the rest of it. But so, obviously, Newton Knight's been serving for about a good year or so in the Confederate Army as a stretcher bearer and an infantryman as well. So he's seen quite a lot of action. Now, a um, so in eighteen sixty two, the Confederacy brings up the draft. So, because they're starting to run out of bloke, like you said, it sort of just turns into a meat grinder. They're now starting to waver on the amount of men that they need. So they're like, right, we'll have a draft. So that's the first thing that sort of uh, sways the Confederate Army a little bit. They're like, oh, well, you know, we're getting conscripts now. We're all volunteers here. You know, we, we want to be here. We, we're going to get blokes who don't want, you know, it's that typical sort of conscripty sort of mindset. But around about the same time, as well as this draft order coming out, a, another law came to pass, um, either exactly the same time or literally within weeks or month after it. So to avoid the draft, if you owned 20 slaves, you didn't have to go. So if you... so. Say a, a recruitment party came to your plantation, and say your father was a plantation owner, and you, you've got I don't know three brothers. So you've the Confederates have turned, you know, the Confederate armies turned up, and they've gone right. We need one of your boys to come and fight. Um, but then they go, hang on a minute, how many slaves you got? Oh, we've got twenty. Oh, that's all right. Well, one of them can stay behind then, uh, and then every subsequent twenty means you could have you don't have to go so that so if you so if you own 60 slaves your three sons won't be going to war so so you get around it really for the rich rather than the poor it is exactly and this and then then your normal confederate soldiers so these are lads that have just come from the farms who've never owned slaves um you know they might have seen a couple in their time but they've never owned a slave in their life they've worked the land themselves you know they just lived their life but now it's become a war of rich people. They go, hang on a minute. I'm here preserving southern rights, but now I'm fighting for some rich put so you know, these these rich folk on a plantation wherever they are. So I've got to fight their war for them. Um and that's where a bit of deserting comes in. Because blokes are going, you know what? This is a rich man's war now. No, that isn't this ain't happening. So that and and this is one of the trains of thoughts that they have for Newton Knight is that Newton Knight decided then that he was going to disappear. You know, he was going to desert. And doesn't he? Um, there, there's gone. Yeah, because it's quite interesting his desertion because doesn't he go back home first and some other friends of the family farms as well, doesn't he? Yeah, so this is where that train of thought comes in. So they think he deserted, but then he got captured again. So this is something that the film uh, Free State of Jones doesn't mention. Um, He deserted, but then got captured. He got captured and got given 40 lashes and then sent to rejoin his regiment. Um, And then apparently he then deserted again. And this is where the two trains of thought go, because some people say that he deserted and got away with it and actually made it back home to Jones County. But then there's another group of historians that say there's a document that actually exists from him actually being discharged from the Confederate Army. So 
it depends on what side of the you know what side of the fence that you're looking at on uh, looking at it from you know if you want to be you know this bloke who deserted because he didn't want to fight anymore and all the rest of it yeah go with that story but then there's another story that goes with him is that he was actually on to be dis- discharged um so that, again this was around about 1862 uh, 1863 sorry so but this um discharge paper was actually signed by a general which would probably be his brigade commander uh and why that he got discharged at this time because he wasn't wounded uh what to what records suggest well what records exist they think what it could be is that his father died um so his father died and there was no one to run the family farm so he, he got told right well you're the only one capable of going back to look after the homestead so here's your discharge papers best of luck to you so there's two trains of thought of that. He deserted and he got away of it this time. And the second one is that he did actually get discharged. So, yeah, so he makes it back to Jones County. Um, so what was your question again about him getting home? Yeah, so so he basically, if we go down the route of he deserted, obviously there'd be there'd be a mob out to get him, like you know, your modern RMP, so to speak. So it, 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 causes, it causes him to... Um, Obviously, he tries staying in the family homes, doesn't he? But then, obviously, it becomes rather hot under the collar for him. Yeah, so he, so he, obviously, first port of call that he makes is to go to his home, um, which when he turns up is empty because um, he does have he does actually have a wife. He has a wife and a son. Um, his wife was called Serena Serena Knight, um, and she disappeared off to I think it was Georgia. So she disappeared off down to Georgia to family because what had been happening in the county while uh newt had been gone and and his you know his fellow uh comrades while they've been away fighting because of the blockade that's happening to stop supply coming into the south there's now there's also another tax law that comes in so this tax law basically means that the army can tax you on your produce so as I said earlier, most of the people that live in Jones County are farmers. Either they're raising livestock or growing crops for sale or to uh, use themselves. So the army would come along and basically it was like a 10% thing. So they'll come along, take away 10% of your crop or if you're a livestock farmer, 10% of your livestock and that's your tax paid to the military. So whatever they've taken away from you, that will now be distributed uh, between the army and the navy okay but where corruption comes in what started happening was to boost up the figures for these people that were going out collecting all this tax um it was more like they were taking 90 percent and leaving the farmers with 10 percent. so when these soldiers who had uh, desert or even blokes who had been wounded and made their way home they they found their families starving um because they had nothing because where in these instances of this corruption of instead of 10 percent being taken away they've had 90 percent taken away they're not they're not able to feed themselves and they're not able to feed the livestock or they might not be able to feed themselves or have seed for next year you know to plant the crops for the next season so it's a really bad case of affairs that's going on obviously where we're going down the route of night being a deserter so he so he 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 leaves the farm uh, and he then takes refuge in the swamps. 
because there's like, well, no one's going to go into the swamps. So that's where he starts sort of hiding out. But then what he starts doing is going to homesteads and seeing what he can do to help them. Um, he's going, well, this isn't right. You know, this, 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 what I've, what I've been away fighting for, what I've now come back to is not what I've been fighting for whatsoever. You know, this is, this is, you know, as the, with the Confederate, uh, propaganda and I said, hang on a minute, it's like the unions already in Mississippi, the way this is going on. You know, this is what I was fighting against, not for. So you'll try and help families. So when these like uh uh tax collect I call them the tax collectors, uh although they're 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 part of the Confederate arm, they were Confederate soldiers that would come and do this. Um he would actually go and try and help the farms out, especially the farms where the man of the household was away fighting or something like that. So it was just the farmer's wife. Where he would try and turn up and say, No, you ain't taking any of this. This is what you're meant to be taking. So he got into quite a bit of trouble. And obviously being a deserter, if we're going down the deserter uh route the, the safest place for him to be would be those swamps yeah so i think that's one bit of the film that's really good it gets across how um the swamps of mississippi is quite an, a, in a deep impenetrable uh wilderness really and you had to have that really back of your hand knowledge to know where to stand where to cross where to walk but he comes across a, a group in 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 the woods, isn't it? And it's, it's quite oh, in the woods, in the say the bloody woods, in the in the swamp, and it's quite yeah uh, an, an interesting group, especially how what one of them is wearing, which I I, I didn't even think was being used by that point. But he's using he's he's been he's in, in, in he's imprisoned in a torch device, really, isn't he? Yeah, so that was basically for uh, runaway slaves. It's so they if they if they decided to run, it was that those barbs would cut on trees and things like that. So it made it difficult to try and get through vegetation. Uh, that's what that is. But yeah, he, uh, while he was uh, sort of bivouacking in the swamps, there was, like you said, Danny, there was other, there was also other inhabitants of the swamp and that being of runaway slaves. So you've got some runaway slaves in there, but not only is there runaway slaves in there, there's also fellow deserters as well. who yeah, are cause... also hiding in the swamps. So he's like, hang on a minute. Uh, we can neutralize this so they're like well let's let's like team together here and try and sort this out because i think to sort of start off with it was more the, the his fellow deserters like the, the runaway slaves were in the swamps but they kind of left each other to it it was like you mind me i mind you sort of um arrangement i think um but then eventually newt knight and also these fellow deserters basically turned around and went we need the manpower. Do you want to come and fight with us? And then from that, they created what will become either some people call it Knight's Band or Knight's Company, where he then formed this uh, company of uh, runaway slaves and deserters. Uh, it, they reckon at its height, they're around about 250 men and that they're all like sort of living in the swamps. Blimey. Do you, you, you think of you know, trying to to run a, a group of even even 10 15 blokes in the field with arms and equipment and supplies but when you've got groups of say 200 it, it, it does sound like a very much a modern day robin hood of all of all things you know protecting the poor by you know, by stealing from the rich or repopulating their wealth back to them it's, 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 well that's pretty much what he was doing with his band so with these tax collectors so he actually made up a very very good intelligence network because again 
Jones County, not many people are living there. And obviously with 250 blokes under his command, he's got he's got their families. Uh, all, they're all local blokes. It's not because they're, these deserters haven't just ended up in the swamps because that's the first safe haven they found. It's because they live in the local area. So all these blokes, have, have they were born and they grew up in that area. Um, so he's got his great intelligence network. So if they found out a tax collection has been done at a farm, they'll find out where that wagon is going and then they'll seize that wagon. So they'll either just be threatening and say, you're going to give me this wagon. And if the Confederate soldiers decide they're going to put up a fight, well, then they'll just fight them. So it's, it's it. either way, they're getting that wagon. Um, and that and that's basically what they started doing. And like you said, they started distributing the wealth. So obviously they'll keep a little bit for themselves because they need to feed themselves. Um, but then they'll distribute it amongst the community. So they'll find out who, what farms are really, really struggling because of this tax that they've got. Um, so they'll then go and give them food. So they'll turn up with a wagon, distribute the food, you know. And so this is basically, he, this is what he is doing. You know, he is a Robin Hood figure in a sense, like you said. So it, it, it wouldn't have taken long, really, whilst he was in these swamps to cause a bit of a hullabaloo with the local local militia, local forces. Obviously, he's upsetting the tax collector who's now not getting his supplies, as it were. He's not getting his his um his quota that he needs to report back they they mobilize local forces against him don't they to try and capture him yeah so the first so the first sort of i'd say name to come and uh try and find him uh was a man called uh major uh was it micklemore uh major micklemore and he's actually a local bloke he's actually known in the area and like them he you know he was a miss he was uh from jones county but when he decided to join the Kurdish army, he he's true to the cause, and it ended up being his job was to go and find these deserters. They didn't know who he was at this point. They just knew all they knew at this point was there was a bunch of deserters in the swamps, in a, and and the surrounding area that are causing problems. You're going to go and find them. So you're going to go find them, either make examples of them or send you know to bring them back to their regiments because we we need blokes. But what they actually done was they found out where he was staying. Um, again, there's uh, two sides to the argument to if it was him who pulled the trigger or one of his men, but they do know he was there at the time when it happened. So where this major was uh, staying in this house uh, in the dead of night, with the, also they went under the cover of rain. They, rec- they, they believe it was raining at the time. Uh, they actually broke, broke in, snuck into the house, knocked on the door, he opened the door of his bedroom and basically just put a round through his chest. Uh, but who pulled the trigger of, of the weapon, nobody rightly knows. Some pe- A lot of people will say it was uh, Newton Knight. Others say it was actually one of his blokes, but he was like stood next to him while it happened. You know, it's one of them sort of yeah, who done uh, it? <laughs> stories. Yeah. So either way, the man who come to hunt him down was now dead. Um, so they then retreated back into the swamps and uh, carried on doing what they were doing. Um, and then after that, then they, then news starts getting out about. Hang on a minute, there's there's more of them. Than what we think now, they've just killed a off. They just killed a major as well. So this is starting to sort. Of, you are now starting to kick a hornet's nest. Um, and they do send up a battalion. So they they do send up a battalion to go and wheedle him out. 
Um, they they are sort of half successful, um, but they're not in a sense. So they they knights men do suffer casualties, and they even hang two teenagers by the swamp. So they did actually make it into the swamps, um, and these two teenagers again. Um, it's believed because this is the problem with this with this era. A lot of the history is all history, so this is all passed down through the generations. And what hard evidence there is, it's very little. Um, that's why that's why I'm saying it's believed because it, there's not always the hard evidence to support it. But they, it's but there is hard evidence. Me. Yeah, but there is hard evidence of these two teenagers who were part of Knight's company who got hung, and it's believed that he these two lads were actually cousins of his as well no oh, so, so it should make it you know wonders any teenagers if they said oh yeah we're related to night that'd be more of a sending a statement as it yeah. were to anyone you're to sending him. a message yeah, yeah sending a message they hung so they hung these two lads um then night and his fellow lads in his cup so basically uh night and his men fl- not fled but they dis- they melted into the into the landscape they either went into hiding and things like that. So the bloke, so the bloke who actually came up to, to uh, flush them out, he thought the operation was a roaring success because they go right. We've killed a couple of them. We strung two of them up as well, um, and we've been no more problems from him since. There's been no more, none of this, uh, you know, any robberies of baggage trains or anything like that. So uh, pat myself on the back and um, off I go. And that's exactly what he did. But then that's when the gloves came off. Yeah. Um, so from that, that's when instead of not, you know, Newton Knight kicking the hornet's nest, the Confederacy kicked his hornet nest. And that's where the gloves came off. And he basically caused an all out war on the Confederacy. Um, so not only were they now hitting the wagon trains, which they were doing anyway, but what they're now doing, they're assassinating people. So they're assassinating tax collectors. They're, they're actually um, getting the uh, Confederate soldiers that are there to round up deserters. Cause there's always this little police force of, uh, you know, from the Confederate army that's going around looking for deserters, but they'll actually kill them. You know, they're finding them, they're ambushing them. Uh, and there's, and we've also now got government officials involved as well because they'll find out where certain government officials live, and they they will do them as well. And then they'll go to like a co- they'll find like a cotton plantation. They'll set fire to it because now they've kicked his hornet's nest, and he's causing absolute havoc and chaos in Jones County. Yeah, any, when you're dealing with any type of uh, war like that, obviously having an uh, insurgency, so to speak, in your backyard. Or in your in your in your grounds where you've been naturally been collecting supplies, resources, and been classed as a safe area, having that happening, and also it's also the um, it's more it's it's not just the actions that he took, it would also be the rumours and the messages going round, guys at the front talking about, have you heard this in Jones County? What's going on? Oh, there's unrest at home. I've heard from Auntie Doreen's sister's brother's boy. That it's all kicking off in Jones County, um, but it wasn't just Jones County, was it? It was, it was two or three counties all ended up joining underneath uh, ninety. Well, yeah, he, he, yeah, some like neighbouring areas that he kind of took over in a sense. Um, but Jones County was the main sort of hive of activity. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like where you were saying about you know the uh, the whispers are going around the camps and things like that, um, and you can't be any further than the truth. But most importantly. The 
federal newspapers heard about him because what he had done was he had now taken over the government building in Jones County. So they've actually so those officials, if they haven't if they hadn't run, they were dead. Um and what he had done to as a statement, he actually raised the uh, union standard above the government building. Yeah, I thought that was a very poignant part of the film, to be fair. Yeah, and he mm. actually yeah, and he actually did that in real life as oh, well. Oh, did he? And, no, that's yeah. Just yeah, he did that in real life to send a message to say, you know, we'd rather be part of the union than the Confederacy. Because they got no interest in forming a government of their own. They just they just they're just fighting against the Confederacy and everything, well, you know. Who's going to help us? Well, the big boys in the north are going to help us, aren't they? No one else is going to help us, are they? So we've done it to do it to actually make a statement to say, you know, we are so we are here and we are when we are putting the fight to the Confederates in deepest, darkest Mississippi. Yeah. Um was there any truth in the in the statements he read out on that? I know we're going, we're going specifically into the film now, but he actually read a statement on the steps of the courthouse. Is that was that true? Was it was it word for word, or was it close to it, or do we not know? I imagine it's very close. He'd have said something like that. Um, I do know he tried getting in contact with General Sherman. That that is that is true. Um, so once they taken it over, they they sent um, gallopers uh, or dispatch riders to General Sherman uh, to say, you know, we're here. Um, we could do with you sending some blokes to us because you know we we are starting to actually get in some proper scraps now because they're not so much sending up full battalions anymore. They're sending up the sort of pockets to go and flush them out, but they're not. Le- but the Confederate Army aren't learning from the mistakes. It's like, well, it's more like you actually need an army to go in there and flush him out instead of just sending like a battalion or a company to go and flush him out because you're not going to do it. Uh, but then also where the Confederacy is getting really strained on men and resources, they just don't have the resources to send men into Jones County to try and sort out this no. band of bandits. So, um, by that time anyway, of the war, hadn't the war like turned by this point and the Union was getting... Yeah, pretty much. Money. Yeah, and, and Sherman's coming ever, ever closer into the South and, you know, they send the gallopers over to Sherman and Sherman said, look, sorry, can't help you because I've got atlanta in my eyes <laughs> so so my time is now going to be down trying to take atlanta instead of trying to help you lot out but i yeah. believe him sending guns was his sort of token gesture though so where it does show it in the film about the guns turning up that was something you know that was almost like a a, a peace gift in a sense saying look sorry i can't send you any blokes but here's some guns uh, i always um, find it interesting with the american civil war that uh Guns used on both sides of the the conflict were both made in Birmingham. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The Enfield rifle musket, three band Enfields, so that was uh, very popular with the Confederate Army. Yeah. Um, you had the spring, you had the Springfields as well. That was more predominant in the north. But yeah, both sides used it. Uh, the Enfield, the three band Enfields. So, so the war, so the war's come to its end. Obviously, the North has been victorious over the South. What was Jones's next action, so to speak? So the history books will tell us that the war ended in 1865. If anyone knows anything about American history, especially in the South, the Civil War hasn't hasn't really finished. Um, So martial law basically takes place. 
um, purely because uh, well, you know, the war's ended. Men are starting to go back to the homesteads. Um, the plantation owners are starting to go back to their plantations and they can run their plantations because they swear allegiance to the federal government so they can start their plantations again. Now, obviously, by the end of the war, it was, you know, with um, President Lincoln, uh, was it the, uh, oh, it's, it's a mouthful to say it, uh, is it Men- Mentipation Proclamation? I think I've said that. Mentipation right. Proclamation. That's it. That's the one. Uh, is to free the slaves. Yeah. But in the South, it doesn't quite work out like that. So where all these slaves had thought that they were going to be free, well, they, they it was almost, it's almost like you're at a swimming pool and, and you know, you're, you're getting a bit tired. And you want to grab hold of the side of the pool to pull yourself out. Well, it was kind of like that. So their, their tips were sort of on the edge of the swimming pool, but then suddenly they've been dragged back from the edge of the swimming pool. So there was things called the slave code. So this was like the the law of slaves where, you know, uh, a black man can't marry a white woman or a white man can't marry a black woman and, you know, all those sort of things. Now, that was called the slave codes or the slave laws. What they did was, um, in the southern states, and Mississippi being one of them, created what was known as the black codes or the black laws, which was basically the slave laws but they just changed the name. Huh. <laughs> um, yeah, so th- there was no, th- so there was no difference um, to what was supposed to have happened. So because of that, uh, the union were like, right, we've got to go and sort this out now um, because this is getting completely out of hand. So, um, so they sent, so the union go down and they basically start an army of occupation of the south, pretty much, and. Each county was governed by a high-ranking officer, and for jo- and the bloke who covered Jones County uh, was uh, Almer Ames, I think his name was Almer Ames, and he was very aware of Newton Knight and what he had done, and Newton Knight was actually uh, a very good ally of his. So what he kind of done with him was he can't not made him a peacemaker, but he. He basically gave him this job role of almost doing what he was doing during the war. So if you, say, got uh, a plantation that wouldn't get rid of their slaves. So they, as far as they're concerned, that the war, the, you know, the, the new laws of the federal government don't, they don't, they don't, you know, apply to them because they, you know, because, because of these new um, black codes, it doesn't apply. So it was down to Newton Knight to go up there and sort them out. So he would go up there even necessarily by force to actually take those former slaves from those plantations. So it was almost like a like rescue missions he was doing. Um, also, not necessarily would it be involving uh, going to rescue former slaves. He would also go and help out local community as well. So like he was doing during the war, there's a family that was struggling. He would try and distribute food to them or give them seeds so they can plant crops and things like that. So he was a very useful man. And also because of his because of the respect that he had from people within the county and people knowing who he was, he became quite a prominent figure. And he was kind of political in that sense, sort of moving into that sort of political world. Yeah, because obviously he'd been a bit of a household name thanks to the Civil War, like, so obviously him going 
him putting himself into the into political light after the end of the civil war isn't he obviously he probably had a lot more backing but i did find it very interesting in the film how obviously with the the end of the civil war how he he starts still helping with these families who you know when the war ends it, everything's not tickety boo and roses and kisses it's there's still a lot of struggling a lot of strife a lot of financial struggle the man of the house has been killed and he seems to be the man who seemed to have stepped up and said no no i i want to to sort these um sort these problems and it's interesting where watching the film where you see the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK, and how yes. how that started. I think it's something that's not it's shown in films before, but it's I don't think any film that I can think of actually shows the gritty beginnings reality. of yeah. the uh, reality of the start of the the KKK. Yeah, and that also brings me on to the other point that I've got as well, because during like this this fascinating life that this man's had during his war years, he actually meets a woman called Rachel, a former slave. I believe it or not, Rachel was actually a former slave of his grandfather. Oh. So how so yeah, so in the film they just say, Oh, her name's Rachel, but actually they knew each other of old because his grandfather, she worked, you know, she lived, worked in uh, his grandfather's household. Yeah. yeah. In the film, um, that's, all, that's quite interesting, actually. That changes the um, the way you look at it, really. It is, yeah. And Rachel was a very useful ally to him during the war because she had the ear of the slaves. So the enslaved people, she had, she had their ear. So she had her network. So her spy network in, in these big houses, in the plantations, so she could get the intelligence to him to say what was going on in the plantations and these big houses, because being enslaved, you don't exist. So conversations could be happening in a room that you're not, you know, far as you're concerned, you don't, you're not there. So they're, they're all these, like, say, government officials are having these conversations, but they're being listened to by the slaves stood at the door with the train is hand. Yeah, so it's interesting as well. One thing I really enjoyed about the film is it showed, and we probably showed to the general public how literacy, reading, and writing, how it wasn't, you know, for the for the black population at the time, it was unheard of, really. Well, yeah, um, well, yeah, he, he, you know, and this is something that uh, Newton Knight um, actually helped out with because obviously, with him meeting Rachel, he actually falls in love with her. Um, Obviously, as I mentioned before, he did have a wife called Serena, who he had a son with. She she came back after war, and uh, they basically they they split up. Um, and Rachel, well, he 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 would say Rachel was his wife. I, they don't think there was any form of marriage took place, but he would always refer to her as his wife. And they do have children as well. And this is where the um, you know the Ku Klux Klan sort of comes into it as well, and other other prejudices that are going on because a man to do this where he's living with a black woman so openly and having children with her in the deep South, it's, you know, and um, like I said, a lot of people are still brainwashed with these uh, black codes that have been, well, from the slave codes to the black codes, people are still in, you know, got that ingrained into their mind. So what this bloke is doing is, is quite, revolutionary in its own right and being married as well and living in living in sin basically with another yeah, and being very open about it and as being well open he's about not it. hiding the secret it's no secret to him 
there's an interesting scene where um to, to touch on that before we move on to the next uh, subject he walks into a, a local shop to buy some wire to repair a fence and the people who used to stand beside him during the days of the civil war when they were living in the swamps and doing these robin hood style raids basically they shun him and turn their back on him because he's now living with this black woman yeah and i'll say it's it it's you know it's it's ingrained it was ingrained into people yeah you know like you say you got these blokes who are fighting with him in the woods just because you know yes they did have runaway slaves fighting with them but they're like yeah we're happy for you to fight beside me but we're not integrating you know it's Again, it's, it's that politics. It's all politics and the rabbit warrens, you know. But, <laughs> but the thing is, it's, it's a politics in America that that's gone on. You know, yeah, said, today, today. Gone, even even today, even you know, some parts of America, things just haven't changed. There's people are still in that mindset in America, especially in the deep south. So talking about that legacy that's still happening on you know, even today, and we've talked about already that the, the film flip-flops between the 1960s and uh, the 1860s. Um, the legacy of Newton Knight, obviously, it's quite prevalent in the 1960s in this court case. Um, isn't there, uh, I think you've mentioned before, Pete, when we, we chatted about this before, you, you recommended I watched the film. There's even a documentary out now about how the legacy of Newton Knight has even carried on today with different communities in the Deep South. It has indeed, yeah. Um, so as we mentioned very early on in this episode about Davis Knight, his great-great-grandson being uh, one-eighth black, um, obviously he's a descendant from him and Rachel. But, but because when I remember earlier when I said he had a wife and a son, well, his wife and son were white. So you've got you know three communities of knights in Jones County. You've got the white knights, the mixed race knights and the black knights. All so they're related. all related, all related, and they're, and they're there still today within Jones County. Now, you've got the the reason you've got the three. Obviously, the white knights are well. It, it, it you know they are the descendants of Serena and Newt, but the mixed race knights are more. Um, so some of them, you know, just live their lives normal. Uh, you know, just like their, you know, their forebear did, you know. Uh, but then with the 1920s and especially with the 1920s, and I'll come on to this, why in 1920s onwards that the mixed race knights tried to basically breed it out of themselves, to put it quite bluntly, um, because the more whiter they look the more accepted they would be in the community now i say from the 1920s it's because that's when newt died he died in 1922 age 84 years old and he was the bloke nobody messed with even as an 80 year old people didn't mess about with the family but now he was dead that safety net for the family had gone so and this is where this comes in with davis knight because he's only one eighth black but like I said, there's a photograph of him. He looks as white as you and me, you know, but because, but that part of um, Newt and Rachel's family have gone, you know what, we've got to try and get ourselves in with the white community here and, you know, try our best 
you know, and they were marrying like cousins within, like second cousins, third cousins within the new within nights. So they so they could try and do that, but obviously things are you know changing in modern times. But yeah, you can uh, actually get three communities even today, three communities of descendants of Newton Knight, and they also still hold the Knight name as well. Well, I think I think in my eyes, having the three communities under the same surname is possibly the greatest sign of progression from those horrible days of you know obviously slavery and people ownership and judging my man by his oh absolutely yeah at the end of the day you've got three people who are sharing three communities who are sharing a sharing dna and sharing a surname regardless of the color of their skin exactly yeah and and one of the documentaries i was i was watching um in preparation for this and it was actually one of the white knights um while she, while she was at school in the 60s or 70s, she was looking at her school photographs and she was going through the names. She then realised that, hang on a minute, they're, they're a knight, they're a knight, they're a knight. And, and she said she went to like a school reunion um, and obviously then she started going through the family tree and all that sort of thing. And turns out that these her fellow classmates who had the same name as knight, they're like, fifth cousins and things like <laughs> all all stemming back from newt and rachel and they're like well why didn't you say that we were possibly related and they're like oh now because back then nobody spoke about it because of the politics of the time it was like yeah we don't talk we know that's not to be spoken about you know and even even um you know we can go into the 1930s because i think it was newt's grandson wrote a book about him. And this is where I think this is where it sort of first came to public view, uh, where Newt's grandson, he's the grandson of uh, Newt and Rachel, uh, basically talking about him, about being this Robin Hood character who fought, you know, side by side with uh, runaway slaves and, you know, and, and very much the story, how it's perceived now. But then later down the line, another one of his granddaughters, um, who was on the Serena side? So this is this will be a descendant of New and Serena's son. Uh, so this would probably be like his great great or great 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 granddaughter, who actually was a white supremacist, and huh. she wrote a book. I think it was in the nineteen fifties, declaring her great great grandfather as a traitor, and um, you know um, what he did was disgusting. He he was uh, you know a traitor to the Confederacy and you know, proper dragged his name through the mud and dirt. Um, so, yeah, so even within the family itself, you know, there's there's politics within that as well, which I, which I found very interesting because you'd think, you know, coming from that family, even though you've got the three communities, it'd be kind of spoke about. Then when you actually think about how politics in the South were, it's like, yeah, I'm support, yeah. It's like, well, yeah, they wouldn't have spoken about it. You know, or would they have carried on their grandfather's work, you know, and say, look, all us three, we're actually we're all cousins and that here. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's crazy. I think it's, it, it, they're all related and all kin, but still mm. had variations from not just three communities, but you know, different politics and different viewpoints. What I really think people should get out there, you can get a hold of it on Amazon. So it's the free state of Jones. 
It's available on Amazon, but also, uh, sorry, it's Netflix, my bad. Amazon Prime and Netflix. Also, possibly, be, it should be on DVD somewhere, but I think it's really worth you sitting down and watching that and taking into consideration and really how in this country, in the UK, we're, we've been quite lucky with our progressiveness for away from the slave trade and uh, and obviously the, the, with the, the difficulties it seems to cause in America. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it, it yeah, it, it's, I think coming from our culture in Britain, where we're so multicultural, um, and when, when you look at, say, like the American history of, of how things are, it, yeah, it is, it, it's interesting. I, I find it very interesting. Um, but also very saddening at the same time. Yeah, it is. It but is to sort of round, but to, but to round it off before before I disappear. <laughs> one thing I will um, leave you with is the inscription on Newton Knight's gravestone. So Newton Knight, when he died in 1922, um, he wasn't allowed to be buried beside Rachel because the laws again for the South, a white man couldn't be buried with a black man or. It, it, you know, because of politics, but he's buried very close to her anyway. But his inscription reads, he lived for others. Oh, that's nice. That's a nice touch. That is. That's really, yeah, that, that hits it. I never didn't know that at all that was on his headstones. That's, yeah, that's brought, in, brought his character to really to light. Yeah, and I thought to myself, when I, when I found out about that, and I thought, you know what, after learning what I've learned about this man, not a truer word has been said in just say. Yeah. You know, it's, and uh, you know, three words, just three simple words, but sums up the man and his character. He lived for others, which he did. Uh, so thank you so much for this, Pete. It's been actually a really eye-opening and mind, mind-widening experience. And I think all of you out there, if, if you've enjoyed these two bits of Americana that we've done over the past few podcasts, please do uh, drop us a line, an email, or contact us on social. I know some of you already have, and thank you so much, because every time you drop us a message, it knows that we're we're on the right track. So please do keep, keep in contact with us, and do keep an eye on all of our other socials. We'll be active over the weekend at our last last uk jolly of the year i know pete has other things stashed away in his, his duffel bag that's coming out in the next few weeks but for the last of the major uk shindigs but on that somber note keep history alive if you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it then why not send us a paypal donation all donations help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question, or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.